This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Luke chapter number 7, Luke chapter number 7, we'll begin our reading in verse number 11, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. It is an honor to be here. Thank you, Pastor, for inviting us to come. I hope you'll be much in prayer for this, for this, uh, this week when I'm preaching to the teenagers, and I ask God to move among us in a great way. I'll be honest with you, if the Lord gets a hold of these teenagers, it could, it could absolutely start something in this church that brings all glory to God. And we're asking God to do something special among us. And you pray for me. Uh, I covet your prayers that the Lord will guide us and lead us to the exact messages that He wants us to, to, to give. And we're, we're asking the Lord to meet with us in a great way. You have a great church here. And I hope you don't take that for granted. I appreciate your pastor. Of course, his wife was kind of gigging me after the last service. I told her she needed to stay for this one. But anyway, she left. Uh, but anyway... Uh, I'll get even later, brother. Okay, that'll be good. Luke chapter 7, look at verse number 11. Word of God says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain. Many of his disciples went with him and much people. And when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. He delivered him to his mother. There came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, I want you to mark the last phrase of verse number 16. It's the title of my message this morning. It's the phrase, God hath visited his people. If you look here for just a moment, things are taking place in this chapter that in this, that in this verse here, verse number 16, all the people could say was God had to do this. This was of God. No man could have done this. And today I want to preach to you on that subject. God hath visited his people. Let's pray together. Father, help me. Lord, I confess my dependence upon you today. You know my heart. You've worked in my heart in such a way I want to be thoroughly right with you. So I pray that my heart is right. I pray everything is, is clean, that there's nothing between us. May you flow completely through me today, Lord. Holy Spirit of God, you be the preacher. Hide me behind this sacred desk. And may you deal with us thoroughly. May you get this point across that we're trying to get across. And may you get it across in such a way that, that we never get over it. It changes our lives forever. Deal with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. On a particular Monday morning as I was having my devotional reading, I came across this particular chapter. And you know if you read the Bible that sometimes in your Bible reading that God seems to be a thousand miles away. But there are other times when He seems so near to you and so real to you. And I must say that this particular Monday morning, God came near to me and showed me something that has 
challenged, comforted, convicted me. In other words, what I'm getting ready to share with you has arrested me. You know, it's a good thing when a preacher preaches something that has arrested his own heart and soul. If I were to ask you today, what is the greatest need in our homes, your home? What's the greatest need in this church or our churches? What's the greatest need in our country and even in our world? I wonder what your answer would be. I submit to you that the answer is found here in our text in verse number 16. The greatest need of our homes, our churches, our country, and our world is for God to once again visit with His people. In this text, we see that it's evident when God visits His people. As a matter of fact, we're just going to tie ourselves down to this chapter here, and I see four major things that took place in this chapter that only takes place when God visits. Are you with me where I'm going with this? In other words... Only these things can happen when God is on the scene. I'm not talking about Him being in us for salvation. I trust He is, and if He is, we have enough to shout from now until Jesus comes, right? But this message is not about Him indwelling. It's about His manifestation of His power among us. I'm talking about the things that He wants to do among us. I don't know about you. I hope I do. I hope I'm right, but I'm going to tell you about me. I want things to happen so much today, and even, let's, 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 let's just say in this service and in this week with these teenagers, I want God to move so much that even the teenagers would have to say, only God could have done that. Amen. That's what this message is about. When God visits, God visited his people here, and he did four things. And I'm submitting to you that these same four things are the things that we need him to do today. Number one, the first thing we notice that happened when God visited his people, first of all, a need was met. We see this in verse 1 and following. If you'll read with me here, the Bible says, And when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy of whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was not, and, and, excuse me, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For also I'm a man set under authority, having unto me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Here's a centurion who has a great need. The Bible says he had a servant who was very dear unto him who is so sick that he's ready to die. And this centurion sent Jewish elders to Jesus and begged him to come to him. And Jesus responded and started going to this man's house. When this man found this out, he sent friends to Jesus and said, don't, don't bother yourself to come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Hey, by the way, that's humility is what that is. He's humbling himself. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. He said, I recognize who you are. He said, all you've got to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. He said, I, I want to tell you, I understand this because I know who I am. He's talking to him. He said, I tell my servants, go and he goes. And I tell my servants, come and he comes. And I tell them to do this and they do that. He's telling Jesus, I recognize that the authority that I have over my human servants 
is the same authority you have even over sickness and over death. All you got to do is speak and the word will heal my servant. Jesus responded and met this centurion's servant's need. And I want to ask you a question this morning. What is your need? What need do you have? Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 we quote often but many times and, and maybe even most of the time we quote it when we need money or we need something paid off. We'll quote, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And thank God that does apply to financial help. I know that. But don't limit the promise of God. He said, my God shall supply all of your need. And may I say, we have all kinds of needs. We have physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, physical needs, financial needs. We, we, are, we are people, we are needy, needy people. And what I'm telling you is that we see here and all through Scripture, but we see here especially that it doesn't matter how big your need is, God can meet your need. When He visits His people, He meets needs. That's what He does. Reminded of several stories here, and I want to take some time to share these just in my own personal life. Some of the stories in the past, some, some taking place right now. I'm just trying to help you, trying to encourage you that when God visits he meets your needs. Makes no difference how big you think they are. They're not bigger than God. I remember in the past I was preaching. Do you remember Rick Kuntz? I was preaching for Rick Kuntz. It's been many years ago. I was, I think, I think he was in the St. Louis area. And I was away with our teenagers. It was like a teen mission trip there. And my wife was not able to go. And I remember, I believe it was the closing service. He had a, he had a pretty small church at that time, not, 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 not small in importance, you understand, just, 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 just basically in a place where there wasn't many people coming. But that particular service that I preached, God came down. And I mean, we had people saved. It was a wonderful service. My wife was expecting, I believe it was our second child at this time. I can't remember because we've had so many, you know, I start losing count, but anyway... She was expecting one of our children, and she was back at home, about an 11-hour drive or so, something like that. And I called her after the service because we were excited about the meeting. And she said, she, said, she said, I'm so happy. I'm paraphrasing. She said, I prayed for you. She said, I want you to know I lost the baby today. But she said, Joe, now at that time, you understand, as, as, as a husband, I wanted to crawl through the phone. I just wanted to hold her but I couldn't get to her. But here's what she said. She said, I feel like there's 10,000 angels in the room with me. You know what that was? That was God visiting her to meet her need. Reminded when our oldest girl was born, she had a big head. Now I think now it's just because of the brain power, you know, of being a jink. What are you laughing? I don't understand that, but anyway. You know how doctors and nurses sometimes scare you to death, right? They'll tell you the worst case scenario. We're like, what's this mean? Because her head was just, it wasn't normal. They said, well, it could, be, it, it could be brain damage. And well, that tore us all to pieces. I needed something at that time. I got along with God, took my Bible and got in my closet. Not literally, my closet was my, was, 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 was my vehicle at that time. You know, it's good to get in your vehicle and just close, close the, the world out, you know. And again, it's my baby girl. 
We're not sure what's going to happen, not sure what kind of news we were going to get. Now, thank God, on, on this side, nothing's wrong. She's great, beautiful girl, but I'm taking you back before we learned that. And I had a need, and God knew I had a need. I just happened to be in Psalm 46, and I was reading in my Bible, and I read these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, he started dealing with me there, but... I read on and says, Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There's a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. I came to verse number 5, and I know it's talking about the city of God, but I'm praying about my baby girl, you see. God, is she okay? I mean, I, we, we, we need you, Lord. And I came to verse number 5, and here's what it read. It said, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. Amen. And that right early. At that time, God visited me. Amen. And even though we didn't know what we were going to hear, I knew everything's, it, it's okay. I'm going to tell you something. Even when you're going through trying times, when God visits you, He just lets you know, it's okay. Amen. It's okay. It just came off and really still coming out of it. I tell people the sun's shining again. This last, this last year was terrible year, awful. Aren't you glad I'm trying to encourage you here, right? It was an awful time. Time of deep, dark depression. I'm talking about depression that just pretty much paralyzed me in my mind. Thought it was over. Just a satanic attack on my mind, spiritual warfare. My wife, bless her heart. I'm going to tell you something. She's one of my heroes. She'll be here Tuesday to talk to these girls. And I'm going to tell you, that's going to be a blessing for these girls. She loves God. She's a woman full of God's what she is. And she is holding on to me. I thought it was over. I was suicidal, everything else. I didn't try anything, but I, I told her, keep, it, keep those pills away from me. My, I, I, when I'm talking about my blood pressure pills, I was tempted to take my life. Never tried anything, but I, I mean, it was bad. It was awful, terrible. Terrible. Months. I was months and months and months and months into that. During that times when I resigned the pastorate, because I thought my life was over. I thought it was over. I thought it was done. My wife getting up every morning, reading her Bible, and writing down promises of God on three by five cards and posting them up around the house. We'd travel and she'd take those cards with us and she'd just post them up around the, you know, just, just wherever we were going, whatever. In, in, in some of those places. I'm simply trying to tell you that I thought it was done. I thought it was over. I thought I, I, thought I was dead. I thought, I thought I was dying. Just to show you how the devil works, it started with the pain in my side. still have the pain. But through that pain, they, had a, they did an early colonoscopy upon me. I was 41 or 42 at that time. I guess I was 41, which is early for a colonoscopy. But they did a colonoscopy upon me, and what I thought was killing me, God was using to save my life. Because they found some polyps in my colon, and this last November, they took about a foot of my colon out, and there was one of those polyps that had turned, turned cancerous. And that pain in my side, by the way, that pain had nothing to do with it. Nothing. Nothing to do with it. But that pain caused them to do a colonoscopy. I asked them to do one, and, and, and yes, they agreed, because this pain in my side... And because of that, everything's fine. I'm cancer-free, all these kind of things, and I'm here preaching. I'm simply trying to tell you something, that God meets needs when He visits you. 
I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how big your need is. God meets needs. A year ago, I thought it was over. As a matter of fact, on July 7th, this Tuesday, is when I resigned the pastorate. My wife told me before I came here, she said, I've been thinking about that. I've been wanting God to give you something on that day. And I'm going to be preaching here in teen camp on that day. I'm telling you, I thought it was over, I thought it was done. And I'm preaching here at this wonderful church today trying to help you and tell you a little bit of my story. I'm just trying to give you some good news. If God can help me, He can help you. Our baby girl, Joy. I took you to the past. I'm taking you to the present. Taking you a little bit to the future here. Our baby girl Joy has to have a colonoscopy done and an endoscopy done. Not this Monday, but next Monday. She has to have the COVID test done. You know how all that is tomorrow to make sure she's clear. And She's having problems. She's having trouble. These are needs. What God's brought us through, I'm telling you, I'm not lifting myself up. I'm giving glory to God. What God's brought us through is helping us trust Him now. Because when God visits His people, He meets needs. I share those stories with you because He's met them in the past. He's meeting them now. and He's going to meet them in the future. When God visits, He meets needs, friends. What's your need? What do you need? I didn't say what's your wants. I say what's your needs? What do you need? God meets needs when He visits. There's a second thing he does. Not only did he meet a need, but number two, he restored a family. We see this in verses 11 to 15. I'm not going to read that again for time's sake because I've already read it. But if you'll look at verse number 12, especially here's a woman who's already lost her husband. The Bible says she's a widow. And the Bible says that the only thing remaining from, from her marriage are memories and a son. This is her only son. And now death reaches out and takes her, take, takes her boy. She's lost the apple of her eye, the one who, who cared for her, the one who looked after her, and she has no one left and nowhere to turn. She's all alone. The way the Lord dealt with me is that her family had been torn apart here. The funeral procession is in progress. The mother's up front brokenhearted. I hope you've never lost a child. If you have, I hope this doesn't bring back hurtful memories. I can't imagine losing a child. I mean, right now, Joy's, Joy's okay. I mean, it's like I told the folks, I think, in the first service, of all of our children, of any, any one of our kids that's going to end up in jail, it's Joy, you know what I mean? So, I mean, she, she's the life of the party at our house. I cannot imagine, I can't imagine losing her. I don't even want to think about it. God willing, we won't, you understand? But we don't know that. Because the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, friends. I know it's not what a day may bring forth. But in this lady's life, she's lost her son. She's lost her husband. She's all alone. You see her? Use your mind's eye. You see the funeral procession going through the street and her up front, brokenhearted? I don't think she's shouting the victory to you. I think she's brokenhearted, weeping. Maybe even wondering. And then something happened. I feel God in this place, friends. Jesus visited that funeral. God visited that funeral. And the Bible says he touched the casket. 
And he said, I say unto you, young man, arise. Life spoke to death. And the Bible says, he that was dead sat up and began to speak. Notice it now. And he delivered him to his mother. Here's the point. This family was torn all to pieces. This lady was brokenhearted. The funeral procession was already in place. Death had already come. But God came and gave them life in the place of death. He restored this family. He gave them life in the place of death. He gave them everything they needed to go home with joy in their hearts. I wonder, are you from a family or maybe you represent a family that's been torn apart by the seams? Are you, do you represent a family that, that for all practical purposes, humanly speaking, the funeral procession's already begun? Death is already set in. Does it feel like all hope is gone? All I'm trying to tell you is that when God visits, even death becomes life. Reminded of a couple that is in church this morning in a like-minded church, a Baptist church. They were, they, were, they were in the church where I was pastoring and their family was falling apart. Their marriage was falling apart. The man, he did not commit physical adultery against his wife, but he, but he was having emotional adultery against his wife. He was getting too close to another woman or maybe even more, uh, you know, pictures and texts and all these other kind of things. He was emotionally not faithful to his wife and it tore her all to pieces. I got the call when I was in Brazil on a mission trip. It was the husband, he was broken, telling me that his wife and he were really struggling, not sure they were going to survive. Long story short, I told him and I challenged him that if they let God work, if they will allow the Lord to help them, that even though it's terrible now, it can be great in the future. And I'm glad to say, all glory to God, that she stayed with him. She did not call it quits. I know this couple. I know they're three precious little kids. And I know the devil tried to tear them apart. And humanly speaking, she had every right, humanly speaking, notice how it's humanly, that's what I'm saying. She had every right with other people saying, you ought to just, just, just quit on him, quit on her. They don't believe in it. Just get over it. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. But when God gets on the scene, God will tell you what's really right. And I'm trying to tell you that the devil tried to tear that family apart, but today they are together better than they've ever been. God's blessing them more than he's probably ever blessed them. They're sitting in church together with their children today, worshiping God. And he told me recently that this last Christmas was, was basically the best Christmas that they've ever had, if I remember what he told me correct. Let me tell you why. Because God visited them. And they submitted to him. And God put their family back together. I've got news for you. It makes no difference how bad your family is. God is in the putting together back business again. Is that a good way of putting that? That's terrible English, I know. Aren't you glad? Amen. I'm glad as a preacher of the gospel, no matter what somebody comes to me for, I have the answer. His name is God. It's Jesus. I'm, I'm telling you, He can put families back together. Number one, He meets needs. 
Number two, he restores families. There's a third one here. It's found in verse 19 and following. And John, this is John the Baptist. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? When the men were coming to him, they said, John Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? In that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and to many that were blind he gave sight. And Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you've seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. See, this is the prophecy fulfilled for the coming Messiah. In other words, Messiah would be the one who would cause the lame to walk, the blind to see, the lepers to be cleansed, the deaf hear. You get it. And understand, here's the third point. When God visits, He settles doubts. Another way of putting it is He answers questions. This is a point here that, that means so much more to me now going through depression than it did when I preached this sermon before depression. Because before depression, it's all up here, mountaintop, faith, believe on God, believe God, believe God. In depression, it's all you can do to get out of the bed, friends. And this encourages me here, I'll tell you why. Because John the Baptist, you know as well as I do, he was a godly man, was he not? Amen? Aren't you glad God's not going to compare you to John the Baptist? I'm glad he's not. He's a godly man. He loves God with all of his heart. You know the interesting thing about this passage? One of the verses that we probably quote the most about John the Baptist is when he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Remember that? Remember when he saw Jesus said, That's the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. He's already said that when we come here. He's already made that statement. Here's the point. He loves God. He knows God. He's called of God. He knows who Jesus is. He knows in his heart the answer to his question already. But according to Matthew chapter 11 verse 2, at this time he's sitting in prison. He's not on a mountaintop. He's in a valley. Things aren't going well. And even though he already knows who Jesus is, even though he's already settled that really in his, in his heart, during this time of, of the valley of his prison, and folks, we all have our valleys. We all have our prisons. Even though he knows who Jesus is, and even though he's put his faith in God, at this moment, this man of God, and this challenges me, this helps me, this man God, who loved God and served God and preached for God, at this time, he's questioning. He's doubting. He's wondering, is this really real? I've been there. I know what he's going through. I've been there. I've been there in the dark time when you feel like, I mean, nobody's here. God's gone. I mean, it's over with. And during that time, you start questioning, you start wondering, you start doubting. And, you know, some people will condemn you for that. I've got news for you, though. You're a human being just like I am. Amen. The fact of the matter is, is when somebody's doubting, somebody's questioning, yes, I understand if they stay there, that's wicked, that's sin. I get it. But just because they are there, are you listening? Doesn't mean their heart's not right with God. Amen. 
Only God knows that. And may I say this to you, it's through the prison experience that John learned more about Jesus and who he really is. John knew he was the Lamb of God. But Jesus showed him his power when he was in the prison. You know what I'm glad of? I see no rebuke from Jesus here to John. None. Now, human beings, the Pharisees, you just need to believe God, John. You listening to me? That's a true statement. But it's hard to do that when you're in the prison, friends. It's hard. And in the middle of it, when you're questioning and doubting, by the way, just like I told one group, if you've never doubted God, uh, uh, please come to me. I want you to sign my Bible because I want to be more like you. I'm serious. I'm telling you, if John the Baptist doubted, don't wonder if you start doubting. But if you do, don't run from God. Run to Him. That's what John did. John didn't run away from God. He ran to Him. He said, go tell, go ask Him, are you really Him? He got honest. You know what I've learned through this? One of the many things I've learned through this is just to get honest with God. Tell Him how you feel. Tell Him what you're questioning. Tell Him what you're doubting. Because when He visits, He settles those doubts. He answers those questions. I know what I've preached all through life is true. I've known it all along. But I know it now more than ever because of the deep, dark pit that I went through and who God showed himself to be in me. I'm saying that he settles doubts. Then there's a fourth thing here that we see. Not only do we see when God visits that he meets needs, he restores families. He settles doubts or answers questions. And a fourth thing we see is we see he forgives sinners. We see this in verses 36 and following. The Bible says that one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. Just like another human being, isn't it? to start condemning this woman. And Jesus answering said unto them, said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. He said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed, him, owed 500 pence, the other 50. They had nothing to pay. He frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto, her, uh, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, to whom little is forgiven, the same love a little... He said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? Hey, let's answer that. Who's the only one that can forgive sins? It's God. Who's speaking here? 
Jesus. This is just one of the many places in Scripture that proves the deity of Jesus Christ. This is God in human flesh. And in verse number 15, he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Wow. Is that not a tremendous passage right there? Jesus in the Pharisee's house. This woman who's a sinner and she knows it. She comes in, begins to wash his feet with tears and dry them with her hair. And when all is said and done, he says, Thy sins are forgiven. That word forgiven means omitted, sent away. And may I say this, when God visits, sinners are forgiven. Their sins are washed away. They're, they're omitted, they're taken away. And may I remind us all here today that all we are are sinners, that's all we are. I mean, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I know I've sinned. You do too, don't you? But when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when God visited you and you said yes to Jesus, what did He do for you? He forgave your sin. Isn't it a blessing to know your sins are gone? I mean, they're forgiven. They're omitted. They're sent away. Reminded of the story of a father and daughter who were walking through the grass on the Canadian prairie and in the distance they saw a prairie fire and they realized that it would soon engulf them. They couldn't outrun it. So the father knew the only way to escape was to burn a large patch of grass right where they were and when the huge fire would, would come near, they would just stand on the section that they had already burned and when the flames did approach them, the girl was terrified but her father assured her and said, the flames can't get to us because we're standing where the fire has already been. May I say this to you, when Jesus Christ, the blessed Son of, Son of the living God, the only begotten Son of God, when He came from heaven, He was God manifest in human body and human flesh because that's how much God loves you and loves me. He realized that if He left us on our own, no way we could make it to heaven and the only way to get there was if He came to die in our place because He's the only one worthy of heaven. Amen. He's the only one that's completely holy. So he realized he must leave heaven and come and die in our place. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, remember God turned the lights off. The sun refused to shine. And during that darkness, they heard the blessed Son of God cry out, My God, my God, See, up until, up until that point, it was Father, Father, Father. But at that time, it was my God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that time, the wrath of Almighty God was poured out on the Lamb of God, Son of God. And He was bearing our sin on Calvary's tree. And it wasn't long after and he yielded up the ghost and he died willingly. Three days later, he rose again. He ascended back to the heavenly Father and he's seated on the right hand of God the Father. And sometime, sometime very soon, he's coming back again. But at that moment in history, at that moment, he took my punishment. He bore the wrath of God for me. And when somebody gave me the gospel and I, and I bowed my head and trusted Christ as my Savior, 
The Word of God teaches that He put me in Christ. I'm in Christ now because the Bible says this, that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ one time and one time only. It'll never be poured out on Him again because the resurrection was a sealed proof that God the Father was satisfied. He's been propitiated. He's been satisfied. Which means that if you're in Christ, you're safe. You are where the fire's already fallen. You're where the fire's already burned. And if you're in Christ, the wrath of God will never reach you because you're standing where the fire has already been. Folks, that's enough to say glory right there. I'm telling you. Praise the Lord. I'm trying to tell you today that when God visits, He meets needs no matter how big they are. When God visits, He puts families back together no matter how broken they are. When God visits, He settles doubts even from some of His choice servants. I'm not a choice servant, but I, what I'm talking about is John the Baptist. Even, even good godly people doubt every now and then. It doesn't make it right to stay there, but I'm trying to help you see something. This world will try to condemn you for doubting. God doesn't. Now, it's condemning if you stay there. But if you let Him visit you, it'll be through your doubts that He'll solidify your faith and make you believe more on Him than you ever have in your life. I'm telling you, and when God visits, sinners are forgiven. I'm just about done. You know, that's the famous lie of a preacher, right, when he says he's just about done. Why does God do these things? By the way, that's just this chapter. What a chapter, amen or not. That's just this chapter. Why does God do these things? Why does God do things every now and then that the only thing we can say is God has visited us? Let me tell you why. Verse 16 there came a fear on all and they glorified God. Hey, the Word of God teaches that God's a jealous God. He will not share His glory with anybody. I'm going to tell you, this is my opinion. One reason we do not see God moving like this is because too many of God's people would take the credit for it. I'm going to tell you what God taught me in my deep, dark depression. It is only... By the grace of God that I'm preaching today. You think I think I deserve to be here? I don't deserve to be here. In my mind, I failed the Lord. In my mind, I failed the Lord. But I've learned something about Him. He loves me even when I'm not lovable. He's with me even when I think He's not. He keeps His promises even when I doubt Him. I'm telling you, he's a good God. And he wants to move in such a way that nobody will say, look what the preacher did. Look what the pastor did. Well, I tell you, uh, hey, since the pastor walked so close to God, that must be what, no, thank God he walks close to God. But I promise you this, God's not going to share his glory with him. God's not going to share his glory with me. And he's not going to share his glory with you. But he wants to move in such a way that we look at it and say, there's no other explanation. Only God could do that. Don't you want that today? 
Don't you want things to happen today in our country, in your church? I'm about to start running. I'm not going to because I'm too old. But anyway, I'm, don't you want God to work in such a way that he gets all the glory, all the honor, and he, he wants to do it. He will do it if he knows he's going to get the glory and honor, friends. I want him to work in such a way that only, only he gets the glory. This is why he does it. May I say to you that what he did in this chapter? He can still do today. And he wants to do today. So what do we do? James 4 verse 8. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. That verse goes on to say, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. As we start to come down for a close and we're beginning the invitation time, as she comes to the piano, I just want to come down here and just talk to you for just a minute. The question I've been asking at the end of these sermons, this sermon that I've preached three times now, this is the question that I want to ask you because this is really the application of this whole thing. Do you understand the message? Like I told the second service, if you don't, I'm going to start all over again. You understand the message, right? Okay, here's how we apply it to our lives. Here's the application. I'm going I'm to use me, but I, I, I want you to ask the same question. Am I encouraging him to visit? Or am I discouraging him to visit? There's no middle ground. You are either by your life, your actions, your thoughts, your words, you understand, your lifestyle, you are either begging God to visit again, please, we need you. Or you're saying, I got this. And I, I want to say something. If you think you have it, he'll let you try it for a while. Why don't we just come clean with God? Why don't we just say, God, we need you. We need him whether we realize it or not, friends. You know what I'm praying? I'm just talking to you here a little bit. I'm praying for some teenagers this week to come out of this week saying, I've learned something. Here's what I've learned. I need God. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Do you need him? Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.